Okay, ready to go. Welcome to session number five of the Parables of Jesus, 35 of them we will cover in 12 weeks. Uh, tonight's session number five, and uh, we'll begin in prayer and ask the question, why parables? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these uh, nights that we can come together and open up your word and look for the mystery, that which many will not have ears to hear. But I pray tonight that you would give us uh, ears to hear and a heart that would receive what we hear and uh, it would transform us from the inside out. So Lord, we ask you to open our minds to understand the scriptures tonight, that we might know you and walk under the light of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Why parables? Jesus over and over says, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled, I speak in parables. That ought to tell you a lot about the authority of Scripture, that Jesus answers why parables, because the Scriptures say parables. In fact, if you, I didn't put it in the text, if you look at Psalm 78, uh, it says, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter hidden things of old. And Jesus, when they ask him why parables, he says, because the Scriptures say that I will speak in parables. So I've used this on almost every session, Luke 8, 8, why parables? And this particular uh, scripture is in the context of the parable of the sower. When he said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Why parables? Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Why parables? His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables to teach others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. Why parables? So tonight I'm going to take a different direction. Why parables? Because there's going to have to be something thrown to people before the people will have a chance to have ears to hear. Something will have to happen that will open up a window for people to have ears to hear. And unless this happens, they'll never have ears to hear because there won't be anything to hear in the first place. I'll explain what that means in a while. Parable number 14, the fishing net. Matthew 13 says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net. So what are we talking about? The kingdom of heaven, fishing net. Okay, this is going to be good. The kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water, and it caught fish of every kind. And when the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, sorted the good fish into crates, but they threw the bad ones away. That is why, excuse me, that's the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked people into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand all these things? Now, I wonder if they said, yes, they do, just so that they didn't look stupid. Because he's asking them, the kingdom of heaven's like like going out into the water and throwing a net, and you're going you're gonna to catch good ones and bad ones, keepers and throwaways. And at the end, they're going to gather that, pull it to shore, and the angels are going to come and take this fish 
and set it on fire, and this fish is going to the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand all this? Yes, I do. Do they really? Do you? I guess it's the difference between having baked fish and sushi. Some of them are going to the fire and some of them are going into heaven. And then he looks and says, do you understand this? And I wonder if some people just see the physical side, like the, it's a bad joke, baked fish and sushi. But, but the reality is when people hear most parables, they can't get over the physical side of it to find the spiritual side of it. So they're left stumped. And then they say, do you understand all this? Yeah, but I really don't. But I really don't. Verse 52. And then Jesus added, every teacher of the religious law. <laughs> I wonder if this was even more confusing. Every teacher of the religious law who becomes a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner. So he's like adding to the parable. It's like a, a homeowner who brings his storeroom, of, it brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. Do you understand this? So let's start looking. Jesus is revealing this new teaching to the Jewish people. He's offering them a new gem of truth to go along with their old covenant. It's the whole concept of uh, you can't put new wine in an old wineskin. And that was why the Jewish people had such a hard time because they were so culturally ingrained in the old covenant that when he brings the new covenant, it just busted their, their worldview. They couldn't handle it. But he says this. Let me come back. I need to read 52 again. Every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings this storeroom of new gems of truth as well as the old. Nicodemus would be an example. Nicodemus was a guy who could, um, he, he had the ability to expand his old wineskin. He didn't bust. He was able to accept Jesus um, as something totally new. And, and, and the beauty of that is how wonderful would it be if Israel, if the, the scribes and the Pharisees who had all of this Old Testament, if they could have accepted him. They would have brought, what's the word? You would have brought from your storeroom new gems as well as the old. You would have got the new gem, Jesus, and your old covenant, Abraham, Isaac, and all. You would have had all of that context. But because you can't get Jesus, it's like this, your old wineskin bursts and you can't handle him. So this parable... Now we can talk about the parable. The parable sounds a whole lot like the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Remember? The wheat and the, uh, the some people call it the tares. Some will and some won't. The net is thrown wide. Some will and some won't. But the net is thrown out. And the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that's thrown in the water. It catches fish of every kind. Every kind, all, all kinds of people. There's a time when, the, when those in the net are going to be divided. The kingdom of heaven is like, okay? What are we really looking at here? It's not about fish, it's not about nets. The kingdom of heaven is like what? The net will be thrown wide into the, 
the fields of man, into the water for fish, whatever you want, analogy you want to look at. But the message of the parable is that one day there's going to be a separation of everyone in the net. They're going to divide. And one are going to the furnace, and one are going to the kingdom of heaven. And there's only two choices. That's the parable. And it's a heavy message because the nets have been thrown and the angels one day are going to physically separate the saved and the lost. The message of the cross, and here's where the underlying truth is. The message of the cross is the net. And it's thrown wide. And it separates. Stay with me. Some fish have ears. In this analogy, some fish have ears. You throw the net, and why parables? Because some people have ears to hear. Some fish in the net, they have ears to hear. So they're going to get it. But, but understand that the message is the, the message is the net, and it's thrown wide. And even though you know in advance that some of the fish in the net are going to be thrown out at the end, you still throw the net. You still cast the net. You can, and, and, and here's the big point. I need to try to get the big point. Jesus and the message of Jesus is going to divide no matter how you throw the net. It's going to divide. I, I, I want everybody to leave here today understanding that because it kind of helps the church in our mission. You can drop Jesus in the middle of a crowd. You can drop Jesus in the middle of any conversation. And I guarantee you what he's going to do. He's going to divide. He's going to divide. I don't care what the application is. You drop Jesus in the middle of it. He is in himself a divider. And, and many people in the church, you still don't get it. And that's what makes the church struggle in the world is because you think, well, everybody's going to love Jesus. No, they're not. No, they're not. That's the idea that everything in the net's going to be in heaven on the last day. No, it's not. No, it's not. He said this in advance. It doesn't matter what I think. So let me prove it to you. Luke 12, 51, Jesus himself says, do you think I come to bring peace on the earth? No. If you ask the world, that's what they think the church thinks. And the problem is a lot of people in the church think that, that Jesus came to bring peace on the earth. Peace on earth to whom God's favor rests. That's what that text says. Peace on earth to whom God's favor rests. No, I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart. From now on, what? Once the gospel of message, once the net is thrown. From now on, I'm going to divide people. From now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me, two against. Or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son. Son will be divided against father. Mother against daughter. Daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The net is the message. We cast the net, and you've got to know up front that when you cast the net, it's going to fall across some the inside the net. It will one day be full and let the angels separate it out, but you still throw the net. Let me keep going. 
Matthew 12, 30, Jesus says this, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. There's that, you drop Jesus in the middle of any scene, he's going to divide, right? The Apostle Paul describes this love-hate world relationship to the church in Galatia. Galatians 6.14. Paul says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that cross, there, here's the net, okay? Because of that cross and that message that was thrown out and Paul's inside the net, because of that cross, my interest in the world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. I'm not interested in them and they're not interested in me anymore. Why? Because of the cross of Christ, Jesus came and he, when he came into my circle, they don't care about me and I don't care about them. My interest in them. And that I don't care doesn't mean that they're not, that I don't care, meaning I, I want them inside the net with me on the last day when the angels come and separate the fish and they go to the kingdom of heaven story. I care in that regard, but I'm not chasing what they're chasing. I'm not looking for what they're looking for. So their interest in me has died. My interest in them has died. Why? Because we're going in two different directions. We're, we're seeking two different outcomes. I, I'm looking, my entire life is to look to meet God. Their entire life is to turn your back on God and get away from him. We're not going the same place. We're not going the same direction. But something, so here's the spiritual truth. But in the middle of all of that truth, something quietly is happening around the world since the time of Jesus and Paul. Using an earlier parable, let me use this analogy. The seeds of the gospel are being sown in the fields of man. The net has been cast ever since the time of Jesus. And even if the world doesn't know that that there's seeds being sown. And even if the world doesn't recognize that the net has been thrown, it is. The unstoppable movement of God called the church is being established and has been established around the world. Even if the world doesn't like it and the world doesn't accept it or thinks we're a bunch of kooks, it doesn't matter. It's still happening. Yes, there is opposition. And yes, there is a great risk and great danger but the church has begun. The seed, which is the message, has been sown, and the net, which is the message, has been cast into the water. All by what? Here's the important thing. Church. All by God's unstoppable power, not ours. God's doing it. Yes, some of the seeds have fallen along the path, using that earlier analogy, or earlier parable. Some of the seeds have gone on the path. Some of them are on a rock. Some of them are in the thistles and they get choked out. And some of the seeds, however, have fallen on good soil. Some will and some won't. And you can't tell and I can't tell either which ones will and which ones won't. Like right now, the net has been cast and I can't tell 
which ones are going to the fire when the angels arrive and which ones are going to be saved. I don't know. In fact, it's not even my job. Not my responsibility. How many of you, let me give you an analogy. How many of you, raise your hand, have planted a garden sometime in your life or planted seeds in a pot or something? Okay, so you can understand. And by the way, right now, this time of year, the, the planting season's getting close, and I'm starting to think about, you know, tomato plants. I like to plant tomato plants in the garden there at the house. Would you not plant a garden if you thought some of the seeds were going to fail to survive? When you plant your garden, do you have full expectation that every seed that you put in the ground is going to make it? Well, then I bet you, you ain't a very good farmer. You see, I fully realize that some of them aren't going to make it. And when I set out those tomatoes, last year I planted 53 tomato plants. Everybody said, what in the world? Most, I tried to give them away and they overwhelmed me. I got overwhelmed with the tomatoes. But there was a certain point in the middle of the season that um, some of the plants, they just died. Just died. I went out there one morning they just died. I have no idea what happened. Some of them didn't make it. But you know what? I didn't panic. That's, I thought, well, I got 53. What in the world? I care if three of them didn't make it. And then there was a storm. I had them staked with tobacco sticks, and there was a storm that came in, and it blew over the, the tobacco sticks, and because they were tied to the tobacco sticks, it uprooted some of them. And then I was thinking, I should have planted 65, because it's starting to, they're starting to get thin out here. My point is this. I never really had any expectation that every seed was going to produce tomatoes. But I planted a garden. Okay? See where we're going? Would you, so let's use this throwing the net thing fishing analogy. Would you go fishing if you thought you would catch a non-keeper and you wouldn't be able to keep it and you'd have to throw it back? Would you go fishing if you were afraid that you might catch a fish that was undersized or not a keeper? When we go crappie fishing, we learned a long time ago, there's this crappie gauge. It's a plastic device that you can drop a crappie down inside because crappies have size limits. So uh, it's really hard to measure a flopping fish with a tape measure. So they make this crappie thing. You drop a fish down in there and his tail sticks up on the top and you can mark, the, mark it and, and you can tell if he's a keeper or not. Would you say, well, I'm not going fishing because um, you'll probably catch a lot of not keepers. I don't want to go fishing with you ever, if that's how you think. I don't. I understand that not all of them are going to be keepers, but I keep fishing. I understand that not all the seeds are going to produce tomatoes, but I keep sowing tomato seeds. Do you see what he's saying? What's the seed and what's the net? This. This is it. Anyone with ears to hear should listen, right? That's what parables do. Some will, some won't, but we still plant gardens. We still go fishing. Jesus gives us a promise regarding this supernatural seed project. Um, I need to say something. If you go back to the fish story, it says those that are righteous are going to be separated from the wicked. The angels are going to come and the nets have been full, and they've been drawn up to the bank. That's what the parable said. And the angels are going to come, and the righteous are going to be separated from the wicked. Now, here, here's my main point tonight. 
At least it was for me when I did the study. What is the single thing that could make the wicked righteous? This. Why do we throw the net? Because the net, why do I plant the seed? Because the only thing that can possibly make the wicked righteous to move you from category A, lost, to category B, saved, the only thing that can do that is the seed. Apart from the seed, everyone's wicked. What is the dividing line? Jesus. Well, what's Jesus? He's the Word. So why do we preach when I know that when I preach, not everybody's going to hear? Why do I plant a garden knowing every seed's not going to come up? Why do I go fishing when I know that every fish is not a keeper? Why? Because the only thing that separates the, the, the um, hell and heaven is the Word itself. It's the message. Jesus gives us a promise. <clears throat> In Matthew 13, 3, he says, 23, he says, The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's Word. And they produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as has been planted. Now, you can't go on until you get this one. Because they're all, all these parables are tied together. The seed which in the parable of the sower, he comes right out and says, the seed is the Word of God. So there's no guessing. The net <clears throat> is the message that is cast wide across the water. Those who truly hear, why parables? So that they will have ears to hear. Why parables? The net has been cast wide, the seeds have been sown. Some people are going to truly hear and understand and produce that which God desires. Some are not. It is not our church, and they are not our seeds, and it's not even our harvest. <clears throat> church, it's important we understand something. It's not our church, our, which means it's my church. Somebody says, and I know people say it to be nice, say, well, we, we, go, we go to Terry's church. And Terry says, no, it's not Terry's church. No, and I know you're being nice, and I know you don't mean anything by that, but it's not my church. It's not our seeds. It's not our harvest. It's his. Right? It's, and and um, it's good seed. It's, it's good seed, and, and I, I've come to the conclusion some are going to get it, and some are not going to get it, but we're going to keep fishing, we're going to keep throwing the net, we're going to keep planting seeds. Now, I, I, got, I got a side, total sideline, and, and out of respect for the person who wrote it, maybe that person's even here tonight, I don't think so, but somebody sent me an email last night, and, and out of respect for them because they didn't, I didn't get permission to use their name, I won't use their name. It's a school teacher in Anderson County. And I got, at, at last night, I get this message at 9 o'clock last night, an email. I want to read it to you. Because I'm telling you, the seeds are good seeds, and, and God is a good God. Here we go. 
I just had to reach out to you and let you know that the students I have in class that attend Nineveh are extremely on fire for, on, on fire for and in love with Jesus. They write scriptures on their work, invite friends and teachers to services, pray over their meals, and wear their heaven's coming gear with pride. By the way, this person doesn't come to church here. My husband and I attend somewhere else, another church, and when we had something happen, I'm trying not to give this away, uh, we couldn't, there were no services. I knew just where to visit because sweet Reese Perry, I will say her name, had invited me personally. She was very excited to serve my babies in the nursery, and she lists their name, and then she said, Leighton Yeager writes a scripture or reminder that Jesus loves me on every paper he submits. <laughs> Emily Jared tells anyone and everyone who will listen about Jesus' love for them. These are kids that go to church here in the public school. You all, she says, when people say Jesus isn't in our schools, they are just wrong. And the students you all send our way are proof of that. Thank you for instilling this passion into our kids and shepherding them in a faithful way. I hope this brings a smile to your face. These seeds, yeah. You know how we, you know who we clap for? The Word. If you'll sow those seeds in these young people and you sow these seeds into their hearts, some of the kids aren't going to get it. Some of them are. And if you cast the net wide, there will be some that won't, won't have ears to hear. I, it's not my responsibility. I can't help it. I, I don't know. I don't know. So we keep casting the net. And I read that just for this point. Sometimes um, we sow seeds for a long time and we think it's not working. You get frustrated. And then somebody sends you a letter like that in the night. It's good seed. We keep fishing. The seed is the Word, and the Word is not of man. That's why it's unstoppable. Even though the seed is perfect, some will and some won't have ears to hear. But here comes the last point. The absence of the seed, in the absence of the seed, I need to hold this up. In the absence of the seed, all of the fish will be wicked when the net is drawn to shore. Church, this is the parable. In the absence of the seed, in the absence of the message, all of the fish will be wicked when the net is drawn to the shore. He won't have to separate any fish. The only thing that makes any fish able to go to heaven in this story is this. This is it. If you have ears to hear, you'll understand. Matthew 16, 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. What makes his church the church? The Holy Spirit revealing the Word of God to the fish. That's it. Some will, some won't. This is the story of all mankind. Some will, some won't. They'll have ears to hear. It is a mystery to me. It's not a mystery to God. It's a mystery to me. In 2 Timothy 4, 1, 
He says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living. There's this separation. Angels are going to come and separate the, the bad fish from the good fish, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. What? Preach the word. Sow the seeds. Cast the net. I solemnly urge you, knowing that what's going to happen on the last day is that the angels are going to come, pull that net out of the water, and they're going to separate the fish. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Preach the word. Sow the seeds. Cast the net. Go fishing. Some will, some won't. This too is a mystery. Without the seed, I understand that all of them are going to be wicked. Nobody's going to make it. It seems obvious that preachers will preach the word, right? Does that seem obvious to you? If you just preach the word, what does Paul tell Timothy to do? He's telling the whole church, here's what you do. Just preach the word. What? what? Preach this. Some will believe it, some won't. Just accept that as a fact and just go sow seeds. Just go cast the net. Preach the word. What? Because without the word, everybody's going to be wicked. You got one chance to get any fish. Cast the net, the word. Some won't preach the word. And here comes the temptation of the church that has infiltrated the American church. Some won't just preach the word. They will water it down in an attempt to get more people to believe it. Do you doubt that? It's, it's a nice thought, but it takes away the power of the church. Some won't preach the word. They're going to water it down in an attempt to get people, more people to believe it. And let's make the seed more attractive and more tasty to the masses. And I like to put it like this. Some people like to take this and adjust it and take out some parts of it because they think it'd be better bait. It's better bait when you go fishing with the... Let's take this out because those fish don't like that. And let's put this in because that'll make it more yummy and then make more people want to go snap up and eat that. So let's adjust the bait and we'll get some more fish, right? Preach the Word. The Word is perfect. Preach the Word. It's not how it works. You can't change the bait to catch fish. Just preach the Word. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. The truth of God's Word stands on its own authority, the authority of Christ. You can't make better bait by changing the Word. And, and in this case, there's something I've learned in a lot of years. Um, use prophecy. I know a lot of preachers strongly disagree with me on this. They can't believe that I... Uh, most preachers that I have a personal relationship struggle with prophecy. I, I shake my head because I don't even get it. It's the most exciting thing I preach about. And here's why. Don't you want to know what's coming? Don't you want to know what's coming? Use prophecy to reveal the future. Why? Because a third of the Bible is prophecy. And if I, if I take out prophecy in, in the net throwing seed planting, I have taken a third of the bait out of the tackle box. A third of it. And here's the second point. Just use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Use the Scripture to interpret the Scripture. 
You ever notice that when I get on a topic that I just take you from one scripture to the next scripture to the next scripture to the next scripture, and, and suddenly you think, well, that explained it. Well, that's what it's supposed to do. It explains itself. People need to know what's coming. We, we must warn them about what's coming. What? You and I have a responsibility to warn the people of what's coming. That one day the net's going to be drawn to shore and the angels are going to come and separate. And some of them are going to the fire and some of them are going into heaven. Do you think we ought to tell people that? See, I do. The scriptures even tell us what's going to happen near the end. I think we're there right now. By the way, 2 Timothy 4, 3, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen. Ears to hear, remember? They'll no longer listen to sound, wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own evil desires, and they'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear, and they'll reject the truth. This is it. And chase after myths. They'll, they'll create some new bait to try to lure the masses, which are myths. Some will, some won't. We keep fishing. Use the same old bait. I, I, I've told jokingly for years, you know, I got no new material. I am preaching the same material that Peter, Andrew, James, and John taught. I got nothing new. This is it. We're all using the same material, same bait. Some are going to reject the truth and chase after myths. It's okay. Some are going to reject the truth and walk straight into the darkness. It's okay. Some preachers are going to tickle people's ears in an effort to be accepted and loved by the world. It's okay. The Holy Spirit revealed that to us beforehand. Why is it okay? Because some will and some won't. But we must never forget what's at stake. And what's at stake? In the absence of the word, all fish are evil, wicked, unsaved. You got one chance, so the word. Here we go. Let me read it one more time. We'll move to number two. When the nets were full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be. That is the way it will be. Do you believe him? Because I do. That's what's going to happen at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I plan on fishing and keep fishing using the same bait until the last day. Parable number 15, the heart of man. Jesus says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Then Jesus called to the crowd to, the crowd to come in here. Listen. He said, and try to understand, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Now, before you turn the page, go up and look at verse 8 one more time. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We have a situation of lips and hearts, okay? This parable is revealing the kingdom of heaven by lips and hearts. Lips versus hearts. What? What? Talk is cheap. That's the lip service. But talk doesn't always represent the true content of a person's heart. Uh, it's not been too long ago. I was uh, just starting to add something to my daily prayer, and I had to go back and look it up. I didn't know what psalm it was. Psalms 1914. It's not in your notes. You might want to write it down. Psalms 1914. And I've just started 
I've just started making it a prayer. I think it's the Holy Spirit doing it, so I just started adding it to my daily prayer. Um, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh God. Let me say it again. May the words of my mouth and the content or the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Why is that important? That's what this parable is about. It's the lips versus the heart. This particular conflict between Jesus and the Jewish leaders came about because Jesus' disciples were not following the Jewish tradition of hand washing. The Jews thought this lack of hand washing would spiritually defile them, but they were missing the larger issue of the human heart. They were looking at it backwards. It's not this direction. I want you to know something. They were looking at it like this, that the flow of, of uh, righteousness went from here this way. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It goes from here this way. You're doing it backwards. You're upside down. They're thinking because you had dirty hands and the dirty hands touched the food and the food went inside, you're defiled because of this direction. He said, no, 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 no. The defilement of humans is this way. Not what starts out and comes in, what starts in and comes out. So I want to do something. I want to go over to Mark's, Matthew, Mark, Mark's account of the same parable. And I want to read it because it's got a little bit different take on this. Mark 7, 14. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear, all of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. Okay, look at the direction. The, the Jews are thinking it's this direction. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart, this direction. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he just used. See? See what happens? Every time he tells the parable, he has to explain it, because they don't, many of them don't have ears to hear. They're not, they're not getting it. Don't you understand either? You see his frustration? Don't you understand? He asked, can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart. Hallelujah about that. That would hurt. <laughs> Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes out into the sewer. And by saying this, he declared, and, and by the way, some of y'all ought to be happy about this. By saying this, Jesus declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. That's in the Gospel of Mark. By the way, those of you who like bacon, you ought to be happy about that verse. Because <laughs> if you were Jewish, you ain't getting any. Verse 20, and then he added, it is what comes from inside you that defiles you. That's why I think the Holy Spirit has prompted me to, to make sure that may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart match. You know what happens if you don't? If, what if they don't match? Jesus says, you hypocrite. You're a hypocrite because they don't match. Your heart's over here. Your mouth's over here. You, you praise me with your mouth, but your heart's way away from me. You're a hypocrite. You're, you're a double-minded person. You, 
You're a liar. You lie to yourself. May the words of my mouth and the meditation or the content of my heart, may it be pleasing to you. May they be the same and may they belong to you. Verse 20, let me read it again. It is what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes what? Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All the stuff that makes fish evil in the story of the other parable. All these vile things come from what? Because of what you did this with? No. Because it was inside of you. It came from within. They are what defile you. Now, so what do I do about that? Okay, okay. I got ears to hear. You got my attention. My heart has a sickness, right? Okay, now we're getting somewhere. My heart, I've got a heart condition that has to be fixed. And I can't do it. By changing my diet of food, that which comes in, I got to deal with it here. So it goes to the greatest commandment. You think that's a coincidence? What's the greatest commandment? Here we go, Matthew 22. One of them, an expert in the religious law, tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your what? Stomach? All your stomach. No, that's not what he said. With all your mouth? Your mouth? No. Why is this the greatest commandment? Because this is where the disease is at. This is the disease. All your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. This is it. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, you'll never reverse the order and be effective. You will never love your neighbor until you learn how to love God. The entire law and all the commands, demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Why? Why is this true? Because a divided heart is not only hypocrisy, it's idolatry. You cannot serve you cannot serve two masters. A divided heart has the idea that I can uh, serve two masters. And there's another thing. A divided heart gives you the impression you can fake God out too. It gives you the idea that I can fake him out. And how would you fake God out? By saying that which is not in here. It won't work. It's a divided heart. And, and it's hypocrisy. That's what he said. You hypocrites. You cannot serve two masters. You remember that story uh, in the scripture says that can fresh water and bitter water come from the same spring? No. So, so what's the spring? The spring is the heart. What's the, where, where does it manifest itself? The, through the mouth, through your language, what you say. I love this Old Testament example of a divided heart and its consequences. Um, a long time ago, long time ago, when I was first going into ministry, 
God used this story to just do something in me. Um, so it's all, it's, this has a long history with me. Um, this is also the scripture that I found on Brian Perry's desk after he died, handwritten. Uh, he had handwritten it and it was on his keyboard when I went into his office after he died. Um, powerful, powerful story about the heart. But I want to give you some context. Most people don't read it with context. Here we go, verse 16, uh, verse 7. At that time, Hananiah the seer, he's a prophet in the Old Testament, he comes to King Asa. The prophet comes to King Asa and he tells him, because you have put your trust in the king of Aram instead of in the Lord, your God, you missed your chance to destroy the army of the king of Aram. You, you, you made a military terrible decision. Don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and the Libyans and their vast army with all their chariots and charioteers? At that time, back then, Asa, you relied on the Lord and he handed them over to you in the military battle. Well, now notice something. You relied on the Lord, which means he had your whole heart. Okay, listen, you got to get this. When he had your whole heart, there was no army anywhere could stand against you in Israel. Because God was sitting on the throne of your heart. Okay, you were trusting him. You were dependent on him. You had power. And verse 9, next verse. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So what will be the contrast to that? The eyes of the Lord search out the whole earth, looking for one whose heart is undivided. What? So that he can strengthen you. Well, what if he finds a divided heart? He, he's searching for an undivided heart so that he can then come and strengthen you, give you power. So what if he comes and finds a divided heart instead of an undivided heart? Are you going to get the power? Are you going to be strengthened? You're going to get the opposite. And here it comes. So what a fool you have been. This is the prophet talking to the king Asa. From now on, you're going to be at war. You know why? Because your talk doesn't match your heart. You got big talk. In fact, read the whole story. You got big talk, but it doesn't match your heart. And now and you're going to be at war. You could have defeated them. The eyes of the Lord were looking throughout the whole land, looking for an undivided heart. And he found you with a divided heart. And now you're going to be at war. You're going to lose. Okay, how's Asa going to respond to that? <clears throat> Asa became very uh, angry with Hananiah, the prophet, for saying this. Um, that he threw him into a prison and put him in stocks. How'd you like to be that preacher? At that time, Asa also began to oppress some of his people. He was just telling them the truth, but he didn't want to hear the truth. What is the mouth versus the lips versus the heart? What is the battle? Here it is. Your word is you. Okay? It's you. It's not an alien being, your word is you. So when somebody's around me and they're, they, get, they hit their hammer, uh, hits their on the thumb and they say a curse word and they say, well, I don't know how that slipped out. Well, that slipped out because that was in there. <laughs> it didn't jump out of me and come out of your mouth. That's in you, that's you. Your word is you, it's in there, okay? Your word is you, it's not an alien being, your word is you. What comes out of your mouth from your heart 
is the real you. Now, I know that you can, you can say, you can talk one thing and, and be another, <clears throat> but in reality, that which is coming out of you is you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O God. Because that's me. The words of my mouth are me. It's me. In Matthew 15, 18, these powerful words of Jesus, but the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. What, what comes out of your heart, it can defile you. It, and if they don't match, and listen, this entire parable began with Jesus saying, you hypocrites. Why? Because there was a disconnect between the lips and the heart. You had a good talk, but when I look inside of your talk, I find a divided heart. You're not loyal to me at all. Last one, number 16, the parable number 16, the lost sheep. Luke 15, 3. So Jesus told them a parable, this story. If a man had, has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, uh, saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, in the same way. You see what he's doing? He's taking heaven and earth and tying them together. In the same way. He's talking about sheep getting lost in a field. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven. Now we're not talking about sheep anymore, are we? There's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner. What's the one lost sinner? It's the one lost sheep in the story. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven when one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. They don't need to repent. Which one brings joy out of heaven? Which one? The one who turns around and comes back to the master. This brings up an interesting point. I hope it helps explain this parable. This is why this church has a follow-up system as a church. For those who stop coming to church, there's a system, there's a procedure, there's a, something that happens. Some of you know it very well because you've been on the end of it several times. And do you see that scale? That's a scale. When somebody misses quite a few weeks here, uh, we make a contact. At least that's our plan. And I'm going to tell you what, let me just be very honest. That was really, really easy when the church had 100 people. That's really, really hard when there's about 1,800 people who attend here on some frequency. So I, I remember a long time ago praying that, Lord, I, I can't keep up with this many people. I don't, I can't remember names and you're going to have to help me you have to give me power and when I prayed that he sent me Will Cooper <laughs> Will Cooper can meet you one time and a year from now he'll know your name uh, it's not me so yeah, if you sit in a church service here and you see Will over here with an iPad and he goes over here and he goes over here he's not a spy he's, he's checking your box everybody are you listening because of this right here He's checking your box. 
Uh, I can go on my phone right now and type your name in, and I can tell you the last service that you came to. <laughs> I'm extremely happy about that. Probably more happy than you are. So we do something, and back during the pandemic, I did it a lot. I was begging people to come back to church, come back to church, come back to church. The lost sheep, you've wandered off. You've got to come back. So we send letters, we send emails, we send text messages. And here's the amazing thing. Listen carefully, because maybe you're that person. If so, then you'll have to deal with it. Some people get very mad when they get this. I'm okay. I've had people furious with me because, why'd you send me a letter? Because I care. And I won't tell you why I send you a letter. I'm going to read it to you. This is several years ago. I read this to our elders here at the church. And this, I believe this is God's word. I want to read it to you. Straight up, this is the reason we try to keep track of you. Ezekiel 34. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, that's God called Ezekiel, son of man. Prophesy against the shepherds. The leaders of Israel, give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, you wear the wool, and you butcher the best animals. But you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended to the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone out to search for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, says the Lord, sovereign Lord, you abandoned my flock and left them to be attacked by every wild animal. And though you were my shepherds, you didn't search for my sheep when they were lost. You took care of yourselves and you left the sheep to starve. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I now consider these shepherds my enemies. Wow. And I will hold them responsible for what has happened to my flock. And I will take away their right to feed the flock. And I will stop them from feeding themselves. And I will rescue my flock from their mouths. And the sheep will no longer be their prey. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. Now he's going to turn a corner here into a prophetic picture of future Israel. Verse 12, I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. And I will bring them back. This is a prophetic picture of Israel. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and all in all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. 
There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. I, w I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. But I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, feed them justice. That's heavy. That makes you want to go find all the lost sheep. And let me say this. Uh, most of you are aware of what happens here on Monday nights. It's a place called Celebrate Recovery. It meets up in the student chapel every Monday night. And when I read this, to, um, he says, I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. That's what Celebrate Recovery is attempting to do here. People who have been injured, they've wandered away and they've become sick and they're injured and they need somebody to bandage their wounds and to bring them back in. And if you've got a chance in any way to be a part of that ministry, man, I'm telling you what. Because do you think, here's my point, I feel a personal responsibility, our elders feel a personal responsibility to seek after the lost sheep. And I'm going to ask you, do you bear any responsibility here? Yes, you do. We can't do it by ourselves. So when there's somebody that you know that has slipped away, fallen away, uh, we need to be responsible to make a contact to try to try to get them back. You can't make them come back. You can, you can do all you can, but you can't make them come back. But sometimes the influence you would have with the person is greater than mine. Think about it. Can anybody right now think of somebody that used to be in church that's not in church now? Where are they? Do you care? Does it matter? The good shepherd has clearly instructed us to go after the lost sheep. That's his point. We should make every effort to do so. And somebody will ask me because, but what if they get mad? Let them get mad. Let them get mad. Just let them get mad. I would rather they be mad at me now because of that than mad at me later. When they find out that when the nets are all drawn in. And the angel comes to separate the fish inside the net. And they look up at me and say, why didn't you tell me? You knew what was going to happen. You knew about the net and the angel separating the fish into the fire and the fish into heaven. You knew about that and you didn't come tell me? Notice how Jesus describes the, Kevin, the kingdom of heaven response when one lost sheep is brought back home. I love this part. So what happens in heaven when one of those sheep comes back? What happens? In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than 99 others who are righteous and have not strayed away. In Jude one twenty two, this is our, all of our responsibility. You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Mercy. Celebrate recovery. You could look at people who have addiction issues and say, well, yeah, you reap what you sowed. No, no, that's not what we do. We show mercy to those who are, whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Finally, this is the final 
scene of the Apostle Paul with the elders at the Ephesus church before he leaves for Jerusalem. Every time I've ever studied this, it's moving because Paul is gathered. This is the church that he helped start, and he's appointed the elders, and he's called the church elders, the shepherds of the flock in Ephesus to the beach, and he's going to get on a boat, and he's going to go to Jerusalem, and he knows he'll never be back. He knows. And here's the writing, and they will close with this tonight. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it is not my fault. Why? Because Paul knows about this net that's going to be drawn to the shore on the last day. If anyone's in that net that's lost, it won't be because of me. What? Because he, he sowed the seeds. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church. He's saying that to the elders of the church at Ephesus. But he's also saying that to the church overall. That he purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among the church after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. Watch out. When I leave, the wolves are coming. And when the wolves come, what happens? Listen, what happens? They scatter the sheep. We had two years of pandemic. They scattered the sheep. So we've covered three parables tonight. The fishing net, the heart of man, lips versus the heart, and the lost sheep. They all reveal the kingdom of heaven. Every one of these reveals specifically what's coming. So if tonight you have ears to hear, you know what's coming. You know. I don't know the day it's arrival. I don't know. I know what's coming. That from Jesus' own mouth, he says that the kingdom of heaven is going to be like a fisherman who goes and throws a wide net and it covered all kinds of fish. And when the net was full, they took the net, drew, drew it up on the beach, and angels came and they took the fish that were saved and they went to heaven and the fish that were lost went to fire, weeping, gnashing teeth, hail. Hey, you know. So what do we do? What's our response? Sow the seed, throw the net. The only chance anybody in the net, anyone in the water, any fish in this story has a chance to not be in the lake of fire, only chance is one. This. This is it. That's the parable. In fact, that's all three parables. That's it. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh God. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us 
truth. We know what's coming. Now, Lord, may your power be manifest in us, your church, so that we will be faithful in all that you've asked us to do while we wait for that last day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.